Hello, friends. Welcome to Within the Musician podcast. This show is a place of discovery for all students, performers, educators, and future educators. I'm your host, Monica Williams. I'm a flutist, teaching artist, recording artist, performer, composer, and lifelong learner. On today's episode, I have a very special guest. Her name is Catherine Eminette. She's also a flutist, but today we're mainly going to talk about her path forward, specifically as a musicpreneur, and talk about what a portfolio artist or musician is. Basically, ways to bring in revenue from your private studio or teaching studio, um, especially if you've been affected due to the pandemic that's happening. How you can reimagine yourself as a teaching artist to retain more students and to get more students and a little bit into the mindset that's needed to be a successful musician in today's day and time. So I'm excited to start today's show. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. Glad to be here today. It's great. We've actually never met in person and yes, just through social media. So I love what technology can like, you know, bring. So it's nice to meet you finally in person. Absolutely. (laughs) So can you start off by just telling people a little bit about yourself and how you got to be where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll start at the end and then we'll go back to the beginning. Um, Currently, I am a private flute teacher. I teach 21 pre-college students every week. I'm an adjunct professor at George Gwinnett College where I teach world world music appreciation. And I also lecture at many universities these days on Zoom. Before the pandemic, I played with lots of orchestras um, and just did a little bit of everything. And most recently, I've started branching out into the online world for offering online courses for musicians um, and also being consultants for musicians. Awesome. I have so many questions for you. And okay, I think that I'll just let me just say, like, I think we're going to have you on a, at a different time because I, I, I already see so many different topics that I, I want to pick your brain about. But before we go on, I wanted to um, have you just tell people where they can follow you, because if you don't have time to listen all the way through this podcast, um, first of all, try and save it and come back to it. But um, write, jot this down and see if you can follow her. If you're a private lesson teacher, you're thinking about private lessons or you're a struggling artist right now that is looking for ideas, she, I can verify that uh, Catherine has so much wealth of information that is is good. So can you tell everyone where to find you first? Absolutely. Sure. So on Instagram, it's just my name, Catherine Eminette um, is my Instagram account. And then for Facebook, it's similar, Catherine Eminette. And then I also have a private Facebook group called the classical musicianeer, which is just for portfolio career musicians, people who wear a lot of hats and have a lot of um, varied income streams. So we have different chats that we do about twice a month, just about anything, how to get to be a sub in orchestras, how to recruit students, how to use Zoom and acapella for all of your COVID pandemic needs. So it's just a great community of people that are very much like-minded. So you can find me in those places and then my website, which is just Catherine Eminette. 
Awesome. And we'll do that at the end too. If you didn't get a chance, we, we'll, we'll do that at the end as well. Okay. So you mentioned the portfolio musician. This is something that actually this term was something that I had first heard from, from you. Can you explain what is a portfolio musician? What is that? Sure. A portfolio musician is someone who has a lot of different income streams and unlike a freelancer, they're consistent. So for example, um, I teach 21 private students a week. That is consistent. In addition, I'm an adjunct professor at a college. That is consistent. In addition to that, I run online courses. I have a calendar of when I launch each of those different things. Um, and then I do have the freelance track too. So the playing and the speaking um, and consulting with different organizations or with different um, people. So a portfolio career musician is someone who does multiple things that are steady work. And you basically combine all of those things into one full-time job. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's really what has to be thought of right now, especially since a lot of musicians that are getting a lot of their revenue from performing, that's no longer, who knew, who knew, right? Um, right. That's no longer a thing right now. But maybe uh, they can use this time period, this is at least my hope, to develop other revenue streams that would support them not only now when it's necessary and needed, but in the future when things go back to normal so that they could have a more thriving practice of, of performing arts. Absolutely. Um, so this type of thing, and I'm imagining, let me just clarify one thing. I'm imagining with the portfolio that there's going to be variance in it. So you say consistent, like for example, if you're a freelancer, Christmas time, you know, this might be more, but it's more consistent throughout the year. Is that what you're kind of getting at that? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's peaks and things and, you know, sometimes you have a lot of one thing and sometimes you don't. And for me, I always have it like if you're talking about your pots cooking. Mm -hmm. So I always have at least two that are like up front and pretty much boiling and usually one that is about to boil over. <laughs> and then I have the other two in the back that are just simmering, getting ready to be pulled to the front. So it depends on the season for sure. But mm -hmm. you're always having those things going and they're most of them are always driving, bringing revenue in for you. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. And you, yes, you don't want all pots boiling over because mental health is important too, as, as we know. Right. You know <laughs> balance, balance everything. So I like the idea of the pots going into, into this. So um, we're all worried about the arts. Uh, will we get back to some normalcy? What is your, and how can we as artists in the meantime, kind of prepare for this? Is there anything you would give to, let's maybe say a musician out there that is in a panic because of their revenue streams, if you could offer like a step one, a step two, a step three, what would be some of those steps you could offer musicians? What's the first thing they should do to kind of get themselves thinking in this new portfolio musician mindset? Absolutely. Well, I think for anyone, the first thing that you should do is you need to get stable. So if you are not having any income, you need to do what you have to do to get some type of income. 
I remember when the pandemic started and I was scared, like, I'm sure like all of us that mm -hmm. I was going to lose everything. No student was going to take lessons online. Mm -hmm. And I talked to my husband about me getting a job at the local grocery store, mm -hmm. you know, just to make ends meet. I have a doctorate in flute performance and I do all these fun, fancy things all the time. But I mean, that's not beneath me to go and get a job because I need to take care of myself and my family. So the first thing would be to stabilize, have some type of income, make sure that you have the health insurance that you need um, in order to take care of your own self. And then once you have stabilized, then it's time to really get creative. Mm. And that's one of the biggest things that um, musicians are is we're creative. Mm. And I think something that can be limiting us sometimes is that we're creative inside of a box. And so that can be very limiting when we're thinking, okay, I can only do A, B, or C. Mm. That's not the case at all. There's so many different ways that you can offer your, your special gifts that you have. I hear from so many music teachers, too, who are worried about um, trying to market online or who are trying to start a new thing because they say, oh, there's just so many other people that, out there that do that. Right. And I always tell them, doesn't matter how many people that are out there doing it. There's only one of you. And you're the only person that can offer your special gifts to people. And it would be a pity for you to not offer your services in your special way to that person who might need your stuff more so than anybody else. You're making someone lose an opportunity to work with you and have their life impacted. Right. And there's so, so many varieties of teachers and, and, you know, it's not a one size fits all type of thing. So that that's, it's, it's nice you point out that, you're very special in what you offer. There's, It's good for students to have options to choose from. Um, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, what I, whenever you're thinking about different ways to diversify your income stream, you have to think about the thing that, not the thing you should do, not the thing you think you should do, but the thing that you're really passionate about and the thing that you're good at. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard for us to see what we're good at. And I always tell college students who I work with, Look at the things that people continually ask you about. What are the things that they're always asking you about advice for something that just comes supernaturally mm -hmm. to you that is not an issue? So for me, it's building private teaching studios. Mm -hmm. And so you take that and you figure out a way to package it so that you can make some type of revenue from it. The brilliant thing is that now everyone's online, everybody knows how to use technology, and we're getting exposed to a lot more things than what we did before. When I started my course three years ago, our first class was literally, how do I use Zoom? Because no one knew how to use Zoom for our online class. Wow. And now these days, everybody knows how to use Zoom. True. So... So when yeah. you say your course, just so so we're clear here, your course that you're speaking of is for private studio teachers to build revenue streams, correct? That's right. Right. And That's you have right. that going right now. That's something that we, we just finished it. Yes, it's a 10 week long course and it's called the Music Teachers Playbook. And uh, it's basically everything that you need to know about running a business, starting a business, being a private studio teacher, either online or in person, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to 
you know, elevate what you current off currently offer if you are a private teacher. Mm-hmm. And it's especially for people who are either new to this, people who are burned out a little bit, mm-hmm. or people who just want to know a little bit more about the ins and outs of marketing and um, recruiting and keeping your, your business thriving. Right. And, you know, the first time I saw you advertise this, I'm like, where were you 20 years ago? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I, I really needed it. Cause as in school, as I mentioned earlier in college, you learn a ton of stuff about how to play your instrument, but not a whole lot on how to actually make a living. So, you know, it can kind of feel, and they're getting better at this, you know, 20 years ago was, is different than it is today, but still it's not balanced in in the business sense. And I think that artists really need to be educated in the business realm of things, because although we go into it to share and to, and to share our gifts and music and it, you still need to put food on the table, right? You still can't, can't do that unless you have the stability. So the stability piece that you shared was so powerful. And I, I know I, I felt that when you shared it on um, Instagram as well, is I think there is a lot of shame when it comes to the idea of a day job is if I have a day job, I am not a musician. I'm not an artist. And I know I felt that in my early twenties when I was working as a server Mm -hmm. and you know, it was your mindset, your mental health is just not really there when you're in that mindset that I'm not doing it. That's a sense of failure just because you need this other revenue stream. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's such a powerful thing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to hear that someone that, you know, has a DMA, they wouldn't be ashamed to work in Target. So I just want to highlight that and amplify that because I think there's probably a lot of artists out there that might be in that situation. They found themselves from a performing career to maybe driving Uber and that can feel self-defeating and there is no shame in stabilizing yourself. So you can, you can, then, as you say, build up the next portfolio career thing. So step one is just like figuring out stability, the easiest thing, because what, what you're doing does take some time, right? To, oh, yes. To build a practice. This is not an overnight thing. Like you can do step one, step two, step three. And and well, maybe for some people, but, you know, it, it does take some time to build. So you have to be mm-hmm. patient with it, right? Yes. And I think that the thing that most musicians don't realize is that the majority of the people who are in this career path do have a day job. It is actually more rare to have a full-time job in music rather than having to have some type of normal person job. And I think that most people don't realize that, especially coming out of school, because you're only around musicians. You're only, you only see people who are full-time musicians, and you're not really seeing the people who are building. You're just seeing the people at the end of their journey. Mm. And I can't tell you the number of how many really well-known and famous and wonderful musicians and composers that I've met who share their stories about how they got started. Mm. And I mean, you know, poor, no car, living with parents, um, you know, working at a hair salon, sweeping up hair, you know, doing all those types of things from these folks that we look up to and be like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. I want that type of career. Mm. But the part you don't see is how they started. So especially right. for young folks who are just now getting started, that is completely normal. And it is actually good because you're going to learn some new skills, specifically how to talk to people that are mm. not musicians. And do the fact that most of our patrons are non-musicians for, mm. for what we do, learning how they think and learning how they view the world 
that's priceless because you can put that into your toolbox. So when it comes time for you to have to market your own performance or create a buzz about it, you'll know how they think. And that's marketing 101 Mm -hmm. is you write for the people that you're trying to get to come to your concert or enroll in your course or whatever it might may be. Yeah, that's such a that's something I didn't think about. But that is a huge skill to what we do is like a lot of us, not everyone, but there's a lot of musicians, you describe yourself as an introvert, myself as well. Um, You know, as you go on all these things that kind of make you out of your comfort zone for me working in a restaurant, you know, uh, for you, you know, doing your path that you did, it's makes you develop different skill sets. I didn't think about that, but it's true. I did learn to, you have to talk to people when you're in those different things, unless you're in an office that's, that's, that's very small. I guess you could find something like that, but, um, that you learn, you're constantly learning, even if you're not in an arts organization, even, um, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's very powerful. Um, so then going on to the, to the after the stabilization factor once you get yourself stable and you've worked a little on your mental health to to avoid some of this shame you said what is the the first step after that once you get stable would you suggest someone does what yes so you think about the thing that you're the most passionate about and you maybe list down the top three things that you're the most passionate about or the things that people always ask you advice for so in my case, it was starting a private, how to start a private studio, um, how to build a website, website. and mm-hmm. how to teach. So those were my top three things. Yes, website. I mean, I'm, I, a, it's such an important thing. And you know, for me personally, I, I the reason I wanted to start this podcast as well is I was seeing a lot of posts on social media just of some helplessness and an artist, you know, that didn't know that first step and, um, and. 10 years ago, I think it's actually earlier than that, I got put in a position where I was um, in charge of basically managing um, studio artists. And a lot of them didn't know step one. And they've been teaching forever, you know, and they were wonderful at what they what they did. Um, but I was hearing things like, oh, I can't charge this amount and, um, you know, no website. I don't know how to advertise and and just a lot of unhappiness. And, mm-hmm. um, and I realized that there wasn't a whole lot of resources, like as far as that. So I'm so glad you offered that um, because I think it's so needed at this time, but always. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, 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 the place where you start with your step one is you write down the things that you want, and then you have to look out into the world and you have to see where there's a hole. Mm. Where is there a hole in the world? What are the things that the people keep asking about? What are the things they need help with? What does the community need? And which one of my three things on my list fit one of those things Mm -hmm. and having being able to find that hole and being able to solve problems from people that is how you generate that income if you can solve someone's problem that's what people pay for is to solve problems Mm -hmm. you take private music lessons to solve a problem your problem is you want to learn how to play better but you're not sure how You go to college so that you can solve the problem of hopefully getting employed because you have credentials, right? Right. So, and when you look into the world for just regular marketing and advertising for 
you know, Papa John's pizza or whatever. If you look at it through the eyes of like a marketer or someone who's selling, that's what they're doing is they're showing you how they can solve your problem. Mm -hmm. So if you can think about what problem your community is having and which one of your skills fits into that problem, then that's your idea. Right. And then you, you start, you don't wait until you're ready to start. You start and then it changes and then it grows and then you change it again and all of that. And there's right. no waiting for it to be perfect because perfect it does not exist. Yes. Perfect does not exist. Um, so yeah, you, you know, you had mentioned earlier that you were fearful when you first, this first came out, me as well. I, I, I kind of went into panic mode, but I think one of the global problems when you're looking just so problems right now, the global problem is that, that we're a little disconnected right now. You know, kids are not being socialized and um, in episode two, I talked to some of my students and they felt unseen in the classroom being that there's 30 little squares on the zoom box. And that some of them felt that they didn't even that their teacher wouldn't recognize them if they were outside of that zoom class, because they don't have that fa facial recognition. Another person thought that her teacher didn't know how to say her name, but on a private lesson, we're one-on-one, -on -one, right? So it's more than just music. You talk mm -hmm. about um, studio culture a lot in your, in your posts. Can you talk about what, what studio culture is for the private teacher that already is, has students, maybe they're a little down in the amount of students and they're worried about retention. What is studio culture and how does that help you with retention of students? Sure. Yes. Um, so every private teacher has what they has glue. I call it glue. Uh, mm -hmm. um, that's the thing. Glue is the thing that keeps your students coming back to you. It's the thing that keeps them engaged. It's the thing that keeps them wanting to do well and practice and participate and do everything that you recommend that they do. So, and, and everybody's glue is different. So for me, my glue is, is the community that exists within my studio. I especially wanted to develop community because when I was in lessons there, I didn't know anybody else who took lessons with my teacher. And mm. I think that if I did, then I would have probably felt like I was part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. So um, as an introverted shy kid, I was always looking for that group of people who spoke my language, which is why I was in, you know, with the band kids. So I try to do that for my own students because I see that when they're engaged and they come and do different things as a group together, whether it be our summer camp, which we had to do virtually this year, <laughs> Christmas caroling, which we're doing live this year, but we're outside and it's really small groups, mm -hmm. um, you know, any type of party or masterclass, there are certain things that we say in our studio that are like special or different ways that we, that I have the students learn how to talk to each other and to give criticism or different groups that they're always in with different people. Mm -hmm. So they're always coming together. And I've noticed that whenever we do this, it creates a way stronger sense of belonging. Mm. And out of that sense of belonging comes wanting to do well, comes lots of um, personal pride, as well as, you know, just feeling like that they're in a club, a, cl mm. a club of kids that are just like them. So for the pandemic, it's been really hard on the students. It's been really hard on me too. And my number one goal has been keeping them going keeping them learning um, and keeping them feeling like that they belong somewhere and that they're, they're special, what they do matters yes. and what they do is important. 
Mm-hmm. So um, when we were only online for online lessons, we would have flute family Fridays at five. Mm-hmm. And this was something that I did with no payment. This was just like something I did mm-hmm. because I recognized the need. Mm-hmm. And so the kids would get on at five o'clock on Fridays and we would play different games. We played um, Zoom Pictionary. <laughs> we would play Kahoots. We would play... Um, you know, uh, we did a scavenger hunt once or, uh, you know, like one where everybody introduced their their pet and then their little brother and then their big sister. Um, and just 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 to hang out with your flute family and just to to be there and have something to contribute to be around people who do know who you are that are outside of your family and to learn a little bit here and there. I love that. Well. I love that. Not only does it help kids keep engaged because you mentioned that, you know, your early upbringing was music was very centric. And for a lot of us, it's almost an identity, right? So like mm-hmm. music has becomes one of those identity things. And so to have a family beyond the band world, which is struggling right now, it's it's very hard to do an ensemble online. We all recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have a family that's just, just coming together for fun, it's not only helpful for the students to feel empowered and belong, but just from a marketing perspective, I would imagine that's helpful because if people, if your students are happy and they're excited about something that they're doing and they have more of a reason to share that experience with someone that might be thinking about music in the future, right? So mm-hmm. at least for me, a lot of my, a lot of my, student enrollment comes from word of mouth. It's experience that a student has had and they share that experience with another family and then you get a call. Word of mouth marketing, I think is is one of the uh, the best ways to, to oh, build a practice. Absolutely, yes. And because people want to know from other people who have actually worked with a person, just like when you're looking for someone to cut your hair or, you know, do your plumbing or whatever. You want to know that someone has had success with them for sure. And I mean, the glue aspect of it is so essential. I mean, my, my turnover rate of students is like crazy. I do not lose students. I've had Mm -hmm. most of my students for the four years since I started my latest studio in Georgia, I've had maybe two Mm -hmm. that have stopped taking Mm -hmm. lessons. Um, and, and it's because of that glue, it's because they mm-hmm. feel like that they belong and that there's, there's more than just coming in and sitting down for 30 minutes and playing band music and scales. Right. There's so much more that we do than just that. And I push them to go to that next level and they're, and then because of that, and because they see the other kids around them doing the same thing, getting pushed to a higher and higher level and being successful at it, right. then that just makes it go for the achievement for the achievement aspect. That's awesome. Yeah. The the retention is a, is a huge factor. I've been lucky to have a pretty good retention rate too. I want to, not all regions of the country and of the world are equal right now. So I know some regions and, and populations were hit harder in the, in the COVID thing. So I know that there's some teachers that, um, that had a higher loss during this time. And I, and I think that it's not always because you didn't have, you know, a strategy. Um, but it's just that not all regions of the world were affected equally on, on this right. thing. So, so for those teachers, I think that it's important to remember that, that, you know, things will get hopefully better, but, you know, maybe to implement some new things. And I know for me personally, as much as I struggle with the pandemic, I'm kind of grateful for 
it at the same time because it got me out of my comfort zone. I think as teachers, mm-hmm. when we're good at things and you, you're always pushing teachers to reimagine themselves. But I think just as a private lesson teacher, you get comfortable at what you do and it becomes almost easy and mm-hmm. maybe too easy because it doesn't push you beyond your comfort zone. So, you know, this this was a huge like you asked for a challenge. It's going to like, you know, deliver it full throttle. But <laughs> this was a challenge. And um, I know I've implemented some things that I love. One of the community things that you mentioned is that I have like, probably like you a, a huge variety of students from a very wide radius that come to see me. So coming for another time is is difficult and getting everyone's schedules together in, it nearly impossible to get everyone on the same on the mm-hmm. same day. But virtually it allowed me to give more options. And so I actually got more response for the community part online than I did in person. So I think this is something I'm going to carry forward even when we do go back to in-person learning, there will be a virtual component, especially with the community factor, because you don't have to absolutely about how big it is. And you can have different times that fit into your schedule. I mean, there's so many, it it does open up a lot Mm -hmm. of, of possibilities for that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Even in my summer camp, I was able to get my friends who live, you know, thousands of miles away to come in and work with my students. That's cool too. Yes. And they loved it. And I loved having, you know, finally having my friends be able to come to like, you know, share their love for music and what they do and their cool jobs and everything. And it was, it was, it was so fun. It was so fun to have that availability. Mm -hmm. So some of the ideas, if you, if you're a private lesson teacher looking to like retain these things, the, the glue you speak of the, you know, maybe just implement some of those things. I love your, your Pictionary thing. It takes the pressure off of doing a lesson plan too. I think, you know, just to like make it fun and, and, and something Mm -hmm. like that. I don't know Kahoot. I'm going to have to look that up. Oh, I love Kahoot. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) I use it for everything. Yeah. And, you know, I think that something important for teachers to realize too, is that it can be scary to try to find all these different avenues of having um, events and different games to play for your students. But the kids do this stuff in school all the time. So all you have to do is ask them, Mm. hey, what's your favorite game that you guys play in school? And then you can, you know, figure out how you can adapt it for your own um, studio party or whatever you choose to do. Very true. Kids know technology um, Mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes better than we do. Although I'm trying to keep up. We're, We're all trying to keep up with all the different different forms. Um, so you had mentioned a post earlier, um, about five things musicians need to do to keep our industry alive. It's okay if we don't know all the five, but I thought that was really something, um, important to talk about right now because the arts, as we talked about earlier, are in slight jeopardy. What can we do as musicians and private teachers to keep this alive and thriving? For sure. The first thing that we all have to do is we ourselves have to value what we do. Mm -hmm. That is the number one. If you see is what you do is not important enough to charge for it, then that's the first thing that is going to kill our industry. Um, A lot of people undercharge for their services and a lot of people offer things, their services for free. And I always tell my uh, playbook people that if you want to be known as the bargain bin teacher, you're probably going to attract bargain bin students Mm -hmm. and you're probably not going to get people who who are really appreciative of everything that you do for them. Now, Mm. when you do charge what you're supposed to charge, you have to make it worth it, right? So you can't, 
you know, offer a product that is subpar of what you're charging. So you need to charge what you're worth and you need to make sure that you're following through with that. Um, so the first thing is not to be scared to charge what you're worth. And if we all do that, then that'll make instantly everything a lot better for musicians. Yes, it's so important. I, I think that one thing, because, you know, if you're charging, first of all, if you're charging something that is way below a quarter of what the industry standard is, you're going to have to do four times more work. There's just no way you could offer your services at the same quality that you would if you were charging what the service is actually worth. So I think that I'm... I understand that because I, I I explored that when I was first starting of, you know, charging really little, thinking that I could get, you know, a lot of students and then, but it doesn't really work like that. So, and you're hurting right. other artists and yourself when you, yes, when you do that. Yes, exactly. And, you know, when, when, when people do say, oh, that's too much or, oh, I can't do that. The next thing that we should do is not just say, oh, okay, no problem. Mm -hmm. We should say, what can you do? Mm -hmm. How can we work this out? How mm -hmm. can we compromise with this? And so, you know, you don't just stop at a no. And I always tell my playbook students, a no is not a no until it's a no. Yes. You, you have to keep finding, you have to keep digging until you can find common ground with something. Mm -hmm. And I think for teachers too, they're always worried about students' families not being able to pay their rate. And I, I think that, you know, I have currently three scholarship students that I teach and I offer them a lower rate mm -hmm. than I do the other, than I do the other students, but I've worked out something with them so that I, so that they can take part in music lessons mm -hmm. and be able to afford it. So there's always things that you can do to help other people. It doesn't have to be set in stone, but the, the main mindset to, to, to have is that you are worth something and your skill is worth something mm -hmm. and you need to charge what it is worth because you've spent a lot of time on your education, your instrument, your training, your travel, everything that you've done. And so, you know, what would you think if a brain surgeon said that they do your brain surgery for 50 bucks? <laughs> would you want to go to that brain surgeon? Probably not. No, no definitely. So, um, yeah. So I think that that's the first thing that we all have to do is stop giving things away from for free and stop undervaluing what we ourselves do. And I imagine, I mean, this is even probably more prevalent in the performing community that the word exposure, you know, can you play for exposure? And especially in the singer songwriter world and the, you know, genres outside of classical music, we they get hit up, you know, a lot more with this particular thing. What would you say to performing? Is it the same way? Uh, yeah. And just to deal with exposure, I mean, the, here's the deal. I, <laughs> I will only play for exposure if it is playing literally with the Berlin Philharmonic <laughs> or playing next to someone who's going to definitely deliver lots of gigs for me in the future. Um, so if, if, and I mean, there's always, there has to be always some type of payoff for, for offering our services. So if the payoff is exposure, because in that audience of that one gig, there's going to be this one person who you know is already looking at you to do something else, then maybe it's worth it. But if you don't have a guarantee of the, the thing that you're trading your services for that you really want for that exposure, then you shouldn't take it. You right. need to have a guarantee that 
what you you need to be compensated somehow. Yes. And if, if exposure is the thing, it's got to be really good exposure. Right. And, and you know, it helps me to, um, to value what that exposure is actually worth. So for example, if I got asked to do this particular high volume festival, new age festival, they gave me, I worked it out. So they got a table. The table was worth $1,200. Now I can put a price tag to that. You know, now exposure right. is actually, now I'm selling my products. Now I can actually have a, an exposure that is worth something, but you know, a coffee house, a restaurant that is selling a product and asking you to play for exposure, you know, it's just devaluing what you do um, mm-hmm. that we're worth so much more than a few bucks in a in a tip jar type of type of thing. And you think you're doing it. You you, you go into this industry thinking I want to share. I love I just want to perform. And of course you do. But you're actually detracting as for, sounds like what you're saying. You're actually detracting from possible future gigs if you support that kind of work, because as long as that kind of work is out there restaurants and establishments will not value that kind of a service for something that they have to pay for. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just the same thing. Like if you yourself don't expect to be paid, then how in the world can, can the person you're trying to get to hire you expect you to be paid? Right. right? Mm -hmm. So it starts with yourself first and standing up for yourself and what you do. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, those are all really good points. Really good points. Anything else that artists should be aware of to keep our industry alive? I think just the need. I think there's a lot in this one. Um, I think, yes, yeah. I think that um, you know, listening to your audience. Um, I I hear of people so many so often who want to start a new ensemble and they want to play all of their their favorite works that they learned in school and. You have to think about who you're going to try to sell that to. Who is in the audience that wants to buy that? Or are you just playing the type of music that you want to play? Mm-hmm. So again, it's taking the what you love thing and then looking out into the world and seeing what might be interesting to other people. And, and like the more, the more specific to who those other people are, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when I started my ensemble, I was going after elementary schools who were doing lots of STEM education. Mm. That was a very, in my program, our program we offered for the, for those, for those um, venues, it was specific to what the kids were learning. Mm. And, you know, most of the music was not stuff that I wanted to play with the trio, but it was fun stuff that proved the point and went to the audience that we were serving. So listening to the audience, being an approachable musician that can share your story and is not scared to talk to human beings <laughs> is a really important one too. Mm-hmm. And just kind of looking out into the world and seeing seeing what else is happening in other industries. As far as like, for example, the online course thing, the business community has already been doing this for 15 years. Right. And it's just now the classical music community is just now started to get into this. And I know that my my music teacher's playbook three years ago was one of the only music online courses that existed. And now, especially because of COVID, they're popping up all over the place because Mm -hmm. it works and because it's a viable income stream and it serves people and it fills in holes for knowledge. So I think, I think looking into other industries and seeing how you can spin what other industries are doing through your own musical lens is really important too. Um, because we're always going to have to evolve. And this pandemic has forced us to evolve at a faster rate than we were before. So I think that classical music is always going to be around. I mean, 
people love music. There's nothing like live performance and being in an audience and doing that. I think that it's just, we can't expect the normal of what we knew previously to continue being a viable path for everyone. I think that it's going to still continue being a viable path for some, but I think the folks who are going to be on the most successful are the ones who are going to start new trends. They're going to be the ones that start getting brave and putting their stuff out there and packaging it differently. Yes. Being brave. And, you know, you, it sounds like a lot of the things you're saying is that the creative, you have to be creative in every field. You know, musicians were creative. It's 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 getting outside of your box, as you say, and and trying some new things and probably not being afraid to fail. Some of the ideas I have just bomb, you know, but at least oh, I yeah. tried it. <laughs> There's and one of your ideas that have failed and it's information, yeah. right? It's so, you know, it's not being afraid. The bravery you mentioned is, is, is putting it out there and not being afraid that it's going to not be receptive. Then you'll know, and then you can modify it or completely ditch it. You know, you're not glued to one particular idea or concept of it. That's right. right. And you only learn by doing. So mm-hmm. you only learn what, what people want and what, what works by doing it. Right, right. And even then, the thing that works, you're going to constantly still have to evolve it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I want to talk to you about is networking. So we have all these these teachers and musicians and Facebook groups like yours that you have, what's the benefit to networking with other teachers, even within your same instrument? You know, I kind of, you know, when I first started, I thought, you know, I don't want to band together with the same thing because that's competitive. You know, what's your thought on that? Yeah, Um, I think it's incredibly important for us to have community. Um, We are kind of, we're a very small field in general. And for the most of us, we're an island. We're out here doing our own thing on our island. And there's not someone, you know, who is right next door who we can go to talk to about what we do. (laughs) So having that community is really important. As far as having um, the same instrument teacher, like being part of your community and your network and stuff, I am all about that. Because just like I said earlier, everyone has their own special gifts to give. Mm -hmm. And if I have three or four flute teachers in the Atlanta area that I love and I want them to come work with my students so that they can be, my students can be positively impacted and learn something new. I am all about that. And I'm going to pay them very well to come and talk to my students. Um, it's, It's so important to have that community there so you can bounce ideas off of each other. And so that you can feel like that you have a place to go whenever you do need advice and help. Um, As far as the competitive thing goes, um, every teacher and every musician has something that is their own to offer. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's going to like my style and not everybody's going to like everybody else's style. Mm -hmm. And so um, for my network here in Atlanta, sometimes I have students who come to take lessons with me and they're not the right fit for me. And so I was like, hmm, you would be really good for this teacher. Let me see if they have any openings. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we, you know, shuffle students around or we have one-off lessons with each other's students just to have that different perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really key mm-hmm. at the local level and with your own instrument. As far as like nationally and internationally, it's just fun. It's mm-hmm. great meeting people that, you know, you would never probably have the chance to meet. Um, there's always something to learn from everyone. And, you know, having poo-poo nasty comments on Facebook or competitiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just shows 
how people are lacking their own self-esteem and mm-hmm. are not, yeah. you know, they have to do that to fill some type of hole that they have. And then we stay away from those people. <laughs> um, so yeah. it just gives you a bro- broader perspective of the different people that are out there and what they offer and what they do. And, um, you know, it's just fun to to meet people and eventually hopefully meet in person right. one day. It sounds like it's healthier, just a healthier perspective. And as a marketing thing, again, you know, if you have context, you build a relationship with those people. Sometimes I, I end up, you know, where I'm just full and I just don't even want to put a wait list in. And then the students will go to those people that I've built relationships with. So exactly. it might not happen this year or next year, but, you know, at some point, those relationships could actually monetize. That's not the main point, but it's it's just worth mentioning that it's in the competitive realm that that is a possibility. For sure. And well. for performing, especially like 98% of the gigs that I get are just from networking, just from people that I know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being willing to meet people and, you know, I always tell college students for every hour that you're in the practice room, 10 minutes of that needs to be doing something either with networking or working on your website or doing something for your future because the number of hours that you spend in the practice room are not going to land you gigs. Mm-hmm. It's the people that are going to land you gigs right. and how people perceive you and if they trust you. Right. And I was mentioning on an earlier podcast, something that I just started during the pandemic was I wanted to offer all these things. I was like super gung ho. Talk about all my pots were boiling over because I wanted <laughs> I wanted to do a music history and a music theory and a studio class and monthly recitals. And it worked great, you know, but I'm like, oh, my gosh. But I banded together with instruments of different instruments, just because I wanted variety. And we all offered something different. On Zoom, you can have up to 100 kids. We realized that now we can actually offer music history, music theory, a studio class, monthly recitals. And if we all take turns doing it, it doesn't boil over anyone's pot. And it gives the kids a different perspective. They get to now in their recitals, um, they get to hear different instruments. And some participate in all of them. Some just participate occasionally, drop in. And it's worked beautifully. You know, That's amazing. Yeah. So that's something that you can do. And you don't even have to be, we're all local, but you don't even have to be local online. You could actually offer this, you know, with people Mm -hmm. across the country or worlds really even. So absolutely. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So this has been great talking to you. Like I said, I think that I would love to have you on at another time because there's so many topics that I feel like we could, we could dive into again, but to, to kind of summarize, it sounds like, investing in yourself is worth it. And first, just finding that value and stability to to be able to find that portfolio career that you and different revenue streams that you um, could offer to the world in yourself. Um, but the investment of the self, and I know that you know, sometimes it's hard because especially when you were all watching money and, and you want to invest wisely. Um, but what would you say to people that are in that position that are hesitant to find a coach, finds a service that could help them in the business perspective? What would you say to them? I would say absolutely do it. Find someone that you trust and someone who knows about the thing that you want to do. And your world will change. I mean, when I started with my business coach three years ago, before I launched my class, I had maybe $200 in the bank account. And I was just, you know, paying for these coaching services, no clue how it would turn out if it would be a complete bust or not. And I can tell you that it has like, it has been incredibly 
amazing, not only from the monetary point of view, but also from just the mindset Mm -hmm. of giving myself permission to say, yeah, I actually have something I can offer to this world. I actually do know what I'm talking about and I can actually help people a lot. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have ever had that if I had not worked with a coach who knew um, all about marketing and, and knew how to package my voice in a way that people would hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say definitely do it. Invest in yourself, invest in your education, not your music education necessarily, mm-hmm. but all the other stuff, right. all the other stuff that that you need to know. Because all musicians are basically small business owners. Yes. That is That is what we are. So if you don't know how to run a business or know how to bring in sales or anything, then you need to learn how to do that. So, cause it, it'll provide you with the life that you should have and the life that you want. Yes. And we don't have to be starving artists. Whoever developed that concept, there's no, you I know, know, the starving know. artist thing doesn't have to be, you can deliver something of value to the world. It might be different than you thought. It's very different than what I thought when I would go, when I went into college, what I thought mm-hmm. I would do and what I ended up with, but I'm still very content and happy, but I've allowed myself to deviate from that path so that I could have that. I think that, you know, the college mindset, you almost have a little bit of blinders on in what the performing artist is. And the reality of it is there's so many more paths if you just open up the blinders and, and allow that path to emerge and try different things, the bravery part, you know, to, and the mindset part, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So you are, you do business coaching um, and you do these, these classes, the flutist playbook bill, but just to, to, to reiterate that it's more for than just for flutists, right? So who would yeah. be benefit from this class? Um, yeah, sure. The uh, music teachers playbook, which is the one that is for private music teachers. Um, it is for any type of person who is currently teaching privately, uh, winds, brass, percussion, strings, choral. Um, I'm not in the piano world, so I don't, I don't know exactly about how the piano world works with some of these things, but there's so much mindset that we go over mm-hmm. and so many blocks that we break down that it could really be great for anyone who wants to start a teaching business. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it is, it is, I basically go through everything with you. Like, emails that you write, making sure that they're, they're easy to read and they're, they're the right type of email to send um, potential new students or potential people who can send you students, your entire website. We work on the copy, the, the words for that. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of things and it's a 10 week course. I run it usually two times per year. First one starts in April. Second one is July through the fall. Um, and just because that's when I'm least busy mm-hmm. and I can bring that pot forward mm-hmm. um, to almost boil over instead of the private teaching stuff. So it is geared for anyone who is right out of college or still in college who wants to learn how to start a private studio, current teachers who might be a little burned out or who have numbers going down, um, or even teachers who are, you know, doing great and they just want to learn more, mm-hmm. um, invest in their education. Right. Yeah. So that's a... That one is for pretty much all music teachers, awesome. for sure. Do you do private coachings as well if someone wanted to read, reach out to you, private business yeah. coaching? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, they can, I do that too. So if you're in a time of period that it's not running and, and they wanted to reach out to you, they could do that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I also do private consultation and coaching. Um and I'm a pedagogy nerd. And so I also have another course called Flute Roots, which mm-hmm. is about how to teach beginners since starting beginner flutists can be really hard if you don't know what you're doing. So I try to take up as much of that guesswork out as possible in yep. teaching 
new flute teachers, um, experienced flute teachers or band directors who are brass players and have no idea how to start a baby flutist. Um, it's a, it's a, my step-by-step guide of how to start beginners. Awesome. Really important now that we're on zoom because the beginners are harder, I think, you know, online or a little bit more of a challenge to learning curve to get over. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be great for band directors too. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us uh, today. And like, I hope to have you on in later episodes of The Entire Musician. And until then, thank you. All right. Thank you, Monica. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed this show, I would be grateful if you could like, share, subscribe, or review if you're on Apple Podcasts. This will help us out in the algorithms and help us to reach more listeners so the podcast can be found more easily. Until next week, bye-bye.